Hello, and welcome to the program, Woke Up. And today is going to be a, a wonderful message about the, the mind virus of wokeism and critical social justice theories and how it affects a human being on the most profound level, how it totally distorts their worldview. And uh, we have uh, on our show an incredibly articulate and fascinating woman who's extremely talented, brilliant, and uh, she was seduced by the ideology of wokeism that left her uh, viewing the world through a lens that distorted everything and distorted reality and really affected her personality. And it was several years of darkness that she endured. And uh, ultimately, we're going to talk about what happened, how that was, how she was seduced, what her life was like, and then how she got an incredible liberation from uh, critical social justice ideology, which is impacting all aspects of our society and families right now. And so please, uh, let's give uh, our attention to Annabella uh, Rockwell. Uh, she's from Florida. And Annabella, thank you for coming on the show. And uh, I would just like you to just get right into it and just start telling your story about what happened to you. Thank you, Michael, so much for having me. And I'm really happy to be on a show called Woke Up because that's exactly what I did. And it's the right woke. <laughs> um, my story starts in, it's really 2011, but I'll go back a little bit farther. So just a little bit about me. I'm an only child. I'm from New York City. Um, my parents divorced at a really young age, but they were always in my life. I always had a really good relationship with my family, super close with my aunts, my uncles, my grandparents, my cousins. Um, I went to church on the weekends and I was an athlete. So I grew up competitively figure skating. I also traveled the world. It was really important to my mom that she take me everywhere. So I see everything and was exposed to a lot of different cultures. I've even spent some summers in China. Um, so I, I did see, you know, communism firsthand as a teenager, um, which is so interesting that I had this kind of worldview. I lived in the Bahamas for a bit, actually, for middle school. So kind of this really eclectic background. And even just being from New York, you're you're exposed to so much. Um, so I went to school uh, in 2011. I went to Mount Holyoke. It's the oldest women's college in the country. It is academically revered. It was founded in 1837. I was so excited when I got in because the seven sisters, I only looked at seven sisters and small liberal arts schools because they were so academic. And I knew that I'm a very social person. So I'd, I didn't need to go to a party school because I'd always find the party, but I would maybe have trouble finding the classroom. So I was <laughs> like, I need to go to a really academic environment where the rest of the student body is super nerdy so that I'm just surrounded by that. So, you know, I went into school with this mindset that A, like, I'm so eager to learn everyone around me is going to be so much smarter than me, which is what I wanted. I also was very open-minded. I was very happy. I was very free thinking. Um, and I also, you know, like I said, I'd grown up in church, so I did have a relationship with God. So 2011, I enter school. Um, those four years that I was at school completely changed me from the inside out, from someone very happy and free and open-minded to someone very close-minded, very woke, and very obsessed with radical feminism, racism, you know, CRT, basically all the ten all the tenets of wokeism. For me, the the one that I really clung to was feminism. And this idea that America was a systematic patriarchy and that I didn't realize as a woman, I'd actually been oppressed my entire life, that my mother had been, that my grandmother had been. And I was so burdened by this weight of, oh my gosh, there is this invisible patriarchy and it's now my duty to upend it. 
Um, so what was going on in the university? Uh, like what was it in the classrooms? Was it in the ethos? Like what was alluring to you? What was happening and what was the messaging going on at Mount Holyoke? Great question. So it's all of it. It's the ethos, it's the environment, it's the classroom, it's the student body, it's also the administration. So I want to tell you that about 70% of college admin are either liberal or very liberal. And that's a statistic you can look up and hold me to it. So really the administration is far left. And then that seeps into the professors that they hire, which then seeps into other professors are teaching the student body and then the environment on campus. So as soon as I got there, um, it was culture shock. Um, it was Western Massachusetts. So I was really far away from my family having come from Florida because I was living in Florida by then. So are my parents. Um, so already it's just, it's a different environment. Um, Western Massachusetts is very like, the way I explain it is kind of crunchy, like a lot of plaid and, and everyone was very, there was a big encouragement to dress sort of androgynous like it was very cool like I would see girls on campus and not really know if they were girls or boys even though it was a women's college and in orientation I was given a little letter in my mailbox that said you know don't assume someone's identity he maybe she she maybe he she maybe they whatever and I'm being told about pronouns so I'm like oh my gosh what is this like I had no idea that anyone you know explore gender this way, right? I was immediately told gender is a spectrum. So where I had thought gender was always, you know, okay, let me take a step back. I had never thought about gender. This is the thing. This had never been a thought that occurred to me that like I was in this box of being a woman. Like I always knew I was a girl. I went to girls schools. I played on girls sports teams, but it didn't occur to me that like I was in this weird, this like super hyper gendered box until I got to school where they're telling me, Gender's a spectrum. You've been lied to. It's completely fluid. Sexuality is completely fluid. Like things are not black and white. So my whole outlook on just first relationships is completely deconstructed and everyone else is engaging in this. So all the student body, you know, there's a lot of students that are experimenting with their pronouns. And now as an incoming student, I'm being taught how to censor myself before I speak to someone. I'm being told, okay, let me take a moment and think about I can't assume how this person identifies. So already like the programming is as soon as you step on campus because you're told what you thought was always the case is not actually the case. So that was the first like glaring thing. And also the student body was very, very queer and the active like social student, um, the active social scene was very queer. So it was really encouraged and you're really encouraged to experiment push your own boundaries, do things that maybe you never would have done. And I think that mindset in conjunction with this party culture, you just really quickly step into like, whoa, everything I thought was true actually isn't. And I'm learning this whole new world and this is actually reality. And so this was absolutely ubiquitous everywhere from the mailboxes, from the messaging, from professors, from uh, colleagues, classmates, and from the administration, top down, inside out, all throughout the, the campus was this doubting of gender or looking at the world through the, <clears throat> these cynical lenses uh, of critical uh, theory, it, it seems like, on every single level. And if you thought that maybe it was kind of weird, you were shamed, you couldn't say anything. Like if I all of a sudden started to say like, meh, I don't know, like I kind of think you're a girl – 
that I would have been ostracized immediately. There actually were some conservative students who in the first year I remember there, um, this is actually interesting, Laura Loomer, who ran for Congress and she's a public figure. She went to my school and she was there. We lived in the same dorm our first year and she actually ended up transferring. And I remember her so distinctly because she had really strong convictions. She was very pro-Israel. That was one of the topics that she was bullied for online was how pro-Israel she was and how conservative she was. And I didn't really know her. We weren't really friends. And I also wasn't that invested in ideology yet. I thought it was kind of wrong that like she was bullied online, but I, I didn't really understand the depth of it until I kind of fell into it and then found myself acting that way also where I was criticizing people for for their beliefs. And and so it seems like it was thought control, mind control, speech control. Uh if you did not toe the party line, you were you were shamed or or canceled in a in a way. My sophomore year was the Romney-Obama election, and I, that was the first time I could ever vote, and I actually voted for Mitt Romney, and I remember thinking, like, oh, my grandmother's voting for him, like, you know, fiscally conservative, that's what I'm interested in, like, I wasn't even concerned about social issues, I was like, we're not going to re regress socially as a country, because that was the narrative on campus, is that, like I said, there was a very active um queer population on the student body and their feeling was like if Mitt Romney is elected they're going to have all their rights taken away or as a woman if we're not if Mitt Romney is elected we're going to have our rights taken away I didn't even understand that yet this idea so my sophomore year during this election I remember I told some friends that I had voted for Mitt Romney and I was totally shamed you know bullied embarrassed and basically beaten into submission where finally I was like okay I must be wrong because everyone around me thinks this way. Um, and then it was my, my junior year that I took a gender studies course. And in that gender studies course between the professor and the books that we've read and the essays that we had to write, the talks we had to explore, that class was absolute brainwashing, absolutely indoctrination. And then every class I took thereafter had some sort of woke bias. You know, it, it wasn't just history. It was race, gender, and empire. And let's demonize, you know, the white explorer, the colonists, like, let's look at all these things from a really negative lens, you know, religion is negative. Every city that I, I remember thinking that every city that was founded in America was founded because someone left whatever religious body that they were in because they weren't tolerated. So they had to go start anew. So I'm, I'm being told that like religion is, you know, creates intolerance. And, you know, there's this emphasis on tolerating, tolerating, tolerating everything. So I just was completely, completely brainwashed, completely. And so what was it? Was it just a sociological pressures or was there the ideology itself? Was it, was that seductive to you or was it the, the ethos that was developed and you were afraid to step outside the box because you, you're in this incredible university incredible history with geniuses. I mean, there's uh, mm -hmm. to get into that school be, uh, to become a professor and even to get admitted, you have to be really, you know, two or three standard deviations in terms of the average IQ. So there must've been a, you know, a lot going on there with in incredibly intelligent people that were influencing you. So was it the ideology or was it the ethos itself that seduced you? 
I think it was a combination of both. You're right that the professors, they are career academics. They, most of them held degrees from Ivy League institutions. So they're very revered and you look up to them. And if they're speaking about an issue, if they're taking something really minute, like let's say transgenderism, which up until college, I had never met anyone that was transgender. I, and there were many transgender students while I was there. And this was before we even saw it in the mainstream culture to the extent that we do now. Um, it's not something I had ever thought about, but if you have a professor that, you know, has a Harvard degree that's teaching you in a small seminar style classroom, that transgenderism is actually like the most important social cause, you're going to be really drawn to that because A, you respect that person, you trust that person that's teaching you, but also the ideology is very seductive. And the way it's seductive is in a sense that you feel so intellectual. You're like nourished with these ideas and you're unpacking everything. And maybe you're with your fellow classmates and, and you're in a dorm and everyone's drinking wine. And, and there's just this air of like, we're so academic, we're so brilliant. We're just discussing all these ideas. You know, I, the, the irony is like the privilege in that, just being able to do that. Yes. And <laughs> And, and we couldn't see that, like the students don't see that, that we were so hyper privileged being in this safe, this really safe environment, being on a college campus, honestly. But at the same time, we're saying that we're victims because the world is so evil and we here in this environment are, you know, fixing all of the world's problems. So yes, it is very, I think seductive is a really good word to use for it. It's appealing. And then what was happening with your relationships outside of that echo chamber, uh, primary relationships with family and friends or maybe conservative friends that you used to have, what was going on within, within your, your mindset and how was this being manifested in, in, in with those relationships? So as I'm going through this change on campus, realizing, Oh my gosh, everything I ever thought is, is wrong. I'm now burdened with this idea of like, I, I have to share this. I have to spread this. Like, okay, let's start. Let's just focus on the women issue. Like women are really oppressed. I have to explain this to my mom and to my grandmother. And so I would go home on vacations and I would tell them like, women couldn't have credit cards. We have no rights. Like just so burdened by this. Couldn't really even give concrete examples. And my mom would turn around and look at me and be like, what are you talking about? You have had every <laughs> opportunity. I've given you everything. I like, she always worked. It was there was, it was just not rooted in reality, but it didn't matter because I was so bought in. And so my relationships at home got so tense because my mom was like, I'm not handling this. And the, the more I went back to school, the further I got into this. So, you know, it starts with just a little bit of like, oh my gosh, women are oppressed. Then it's like, oh, sexuality is a spectrum. Well, maybe I should explore mine or maybe I'm not what I always thought I was. So I'm all of a sudden questioning all of my identities feeling like the people that have known me my whole life, which is my family, don't actually know me. And I'm rewriting my own history in my head because I'm being told from people around me that, oh, your family doesn't really love you if they don't, if they don't accept you and, and how you're expressing yourself right now. So it was really, it was really heartbreaking. Honestly, I felt like my family didn't love me conditionally which isn't true. Like that's a really awful lie that I was told. You know, I was told on campus that if my mom doesn't accept me for wanting to, you know, for want for, okay, here's one, a concrete example. I became an atheist while I was at school and I came home on vacation. I was like, mom, are you still believing that Jesus nonsense? 
which I can't, I can't even imagine how heartbreaking it must've been for her to hear me say something like that. And it hurts me just even thinking that I said something like that, but she looked at me and was like, you're, you're not my daughter in response to that. Whereas I'm now going back to campus saying, well, I'm an atheist and my family doesn't accept it. And so then your peers are telling you, oh, your family just doesn't love you, Mm. which is, is a lie. It's a lie. In fact, your family does love you. Your family knows you and they know that that's not you and that you're going down a path that's ultimately going to cause you a lot of hurt and despair. Wow. It's so subversive toward primary relationships, you know, subverting your relationship with God, your relationship with your family with your parents and uh, where did, did you just feel like you were absolutely right? Were you developing a sense of uh, narcissistic hedonism where you were could do whatever you want and believe whatever you want. And it didn't matter. Or were you tormented within yourself? I was more the tormented victim feeling like everything I'd ever been told was a lie. I now have this whole new world perspective. I now have to change everything. I also have to forge a completely new path So it's very lonely. It's very isolating. And like I said before, about 70% of college administrators are liberal or very liberal. So left or very left, you know, the roots of leftism we know are Marxism. And Karl Marx made it very clear that the family unit is a tool of capitalism. Capitalism is a tool of oppression and anything that's oppressive has to be destroyed. So it makes perfect sense to me in reflection that of course the family unit is is attacked while you're on campus of course you're told turn away from your parents they don't love you they don't accept you you know we're not told instead like we're all kind of learning this like your parents are human they're doing the best they can like you know maybe your approach isn't the proper approach like this we have to be so rooted in what we believe that we can't even communicate with the other side like that's another tactic of marx tactic of marxism is you know you're right don't discuss it don't even bother with that person so there is a level of narcissism i guess and can you speak on behalf of your mom like what was she feeling and your dad what were they what were they thinking and it must have been incredibly painful uh, losing their daughter to the, to a cult. That's exactly what happened. I feel like I was a part of a cult and being on the other side of it. I know that I was not me for a few years and I, you know, I'm very sad for that, for that former self. Um, my mom was heartbroken. She was devastated. She, I'm an only child, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. It, I really, really put my parents through how I think my dad on the other, on the other hand, he was a little bit more like, maybe it's a phase what's going on. Cause I was always closer with my mom. So my mom could really see, no, something is wrong with her. Like this is like, something's off. This is not her. She comes back and she acts like a robot and she just regurgitates a narrative. So it was really, really painful for my mom. And so what happened during this process? Like you, you, you seem like you've been totally transformed. What, what, what's been the pathway out of this? Did you start to wake up a little bit in the university or, or, or where did life take you to get to where you're at today? I did not wake up while I was at school. I went woke while I was at school. So the pathway after, um, 
you know, I, I actually went abroad for a year. I went to grad school. I got my master's in Barcelona, which should have been this amazing thing. But the whole time I was there, I was still really um, invested in wokeism. I remember I became a really extreme vegan because I was so consumed with the environment. And one of the reasons I went away mm. is because when I graduated, I was so empty and anxious. And remember, I have turned my back on God at this point. So I am filling this void with ideologies and and a purpose bigger than myself, which ends up becoming politics. So I ended up coming back from Europe in 2016. I worked on the Hillary Clinton campaign during this time that just one I, question about uh, the time in yeah. Barcelona was uh, obviously it was a, a very good school for, for you to go there. Uh, had wokeism infiltrated uh, in Barcelona, the, uh, the elite university there that you attended or was it just starting to come in or, or was it captured as well? It wasn't there at all. Was not there oh, really? Yeah, wow. Spain was actually a very like machismo country, and I remember being so appalled by that while I was there. This like <laughs> idea of the macho man, because obviously like burned down the patriarchy was my was my mindset. So whereas I tried to appreciate this experience, I also was like very lost. And one of the reasons I went there is was because I was like running away from myself. You know, I should. Ultimately, I ended up running towards God, which is why I'm here today. But I went to Spain trying to get away from myself. Turns yeah. out like you follow yourself, even if you go across the country. Um, and during a lot of these phases where I didn't speak to my mom is when she was so concerned that she called a cult a programmer. She also called treatment centers because I was so obsessed with, you know, politics and feminism and wokeism and really worked it into every conversation. And so She's so distraught that she is, you know, seeking, she would call prayer lines and have people pray for me. But internally, it's very empty because you also look at, you look at the world through this lens of bigotry that everything is attacking you or the cards are stacked against you and you're constantly in fight mode. So you're never actually at peace. Were you uh, being treated for mental health uh, conditions at that point? Were you... Uh under your treatment uh, for, for therapy or anything like that, or taking uh, antidepressants or were you not aware of the instability that your mind was, was in at that point? I self-medicated with, with alcohol. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And then, so what happened with this deprogramming? Uh, where, where do you find one of those guys? <laughs> <laughs> so I have never spoken to a deprogrammer. My mom's the one that spoke to them and she got a, wide variety of advice. Now, when you're in a cult, it's very interesting. The, the length of it is about seven years normally from entering to exiting if you do come out of it. Also, girls are more likely to come out of it. I also think that young women are more susceptible to brainwashing because we're much more empathetic. Um, so I have a theory that women mm. are actually behind the woke movement and, and yes, everything that we're seeing, which is why for me, like, I really want to speak to women. That's what I'm passionate about is like trying to deter young women from going down this path instead going towards God. Um, but the deprogrammer told her that she should not affirm my new identities. And that was the best thing she could have done. So she did have to take a chance at one point, like I said, you, or I've, I've, you know, in the past said I was estranged from her. So we went through a period where we didn't speak at all. She put her foot down. She was like, I'm not entertaining this. You know, I'm not going to be spoken this way. Cause I also was very rude to her during this time. I was really mean. I was really combative, but we see it all over the news. Like mm. people that are woke are really rude and really 
entitled. That's how I acted. And I was very disrespectful to her. And she was like, I'm not dealing with this. I'm not doing it. She put her foot down. She cut me off financially. She didn't talk to me for a period of time. And that was heartbreaking, heartbreaking. And in her mind, the way she recalls it is that she said she was playing a chess game. Like she was doing everything not to lose her child, like in the long run. So she would have other family members or extended family friends kind of just check in on me to make sure I was okay or keep some sort of a lifeline. But she cut herself off from me. And that was actually the best thing that she could have done. So it's interesting that you said uh, that she maintained her convictions. She didn't acquiesce to go into your world. Yeah, I'd like to pursue that a little bit more. Like it's not just the, uh, you know, the, the radical feminism or the, or the, the critical feminist ideology, but like, what about pronouns and, you know, this new identity, are, are you suggesting that parents, it might be best not to placate that or engage that? Or if a child is saying that everything, a child or a, someone in their twenties, uh, looks at everything through race, do you engage that? Do you try to bring reason? Or I, I, I like what you're saying about the fact that your mom st- stood strong was kind of a lifeline to you. And then she involved other people from your past to, to reach out to you. I think that's great. But would you say that's a blanket uh, approach that would be good? Or do you have any opinion on those types of ideas? Um, Two things I want to address in the question you just asked. So um, the first one I want to say that, because you, you brought up pronouns. So having been in an environment that was very, on my college campus. And I went there one way, very sure of who I was. And I left very confused about my identity. I really believe that the, you know, trans narrative that we're seeing, I think it's a, I I think it's a, um, what's the word? I'm sorry, I'm at a loss for words. Uh, A social condition is what I'm trying, do do you know what I'm trying to say? Like a social contagion or? Contagion, uh, that's the word. Yes, 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 yes. Um, It's a social contagion. And I, I caught it. I caught the social contagion. Like it's, it's true. I, I don't think that there are all these people that are born this way. Um, I think that humans in general, we have, a, we are constantly seeking a God consciousness. Like I think child, man, mm. woman, baby, like we are all built. We all have a soul. You know, we are spiritual beings, have a human, having a human experience. So no matter what we're going to be seeking something, it just depends if we have the tools to seek God or if we don't have the tools. And so we seek external validations. So my advice to parents is, you know, your child. And if your child is very, is very clearly a boy and all of a sudden they go to school and, you know, maybe they're on their phone all the time. Maybe they're really into social media. Maybe they're a little awkward. Maybe they're a little nerdy. And so they don't have a ton of friends. If they all of a sudden come home and they're like, I feel a little different. You need to know that they're being validated at school, that the teachers, social media, their peers, they're telling them, oh, you feel a little weird. Maybe the answer is that you're not actually a boy. Maybe the answer is that you're a girl. So if your kid comes home and they're like, mom, I'm actually a girl. And they've been one way their entire life. It really is on parents to put their foot down and be like, no, you're not you weren't a girl yesterday. You weren't a girl last year. Like there is a deeper rooted issue. Let's get down to the deeper issue because as soon as you open that door and then you get medication involved, I mean, you are going down a path that you cannot reverse. Mm. 
Yeah. So what happens uh, hypothetically? Well, I'm sure it's happening all over the United States and in the West. If you won't respect pronouns or the ideology where they manifest and they scream and they hate you, they go no contact. Is it, is it, do you negotiate space or is it best to just stand firm and let them manifest or go with, go through what they're going through and then uh, be a lifeline back? How do you handle that? Cause it's so hurtful and traumatic for families being blown apart. And when the anger is mixed with it, what would be your, your overall advice then for, for parents at what level do you acquiesce and at what level do you just say, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do this dance. You really explained it perfectly about standing strong, letting your uh, perhaps adult child go through what they go through, and then you being a lifeline back mm. to themselves. That is exactly the path that my mom took. That's exactly what happened. And I really had to go through a lot of years of chaos, which is unfortunate, but I was able to come back. And I have an anecdote for you. So in this story, when I say it, it always it always gives me chills. When I entered school, when I entered um, Mount Holyoke in 2011, I had a, uh, there was a girl that entered at the same time who was in my class. We had actually gone to lower school together in Manhattan. So we were friends as little girls. And then we lost touch for like 10 years because I moved away. And then we reconnected my first year and she was one of my buddies. And she went through a similar path of, okay, she decided that like she had maybe always been gay. So she was pursuing, you know, being a lesbian, which was very welcome and encouraged on campus. Um, and I think that she'd maybe always been that way, but she kept it very repressed. She also went through an experience of sexual assault, which I think just reaffirmed that she wanted to have relationships with women. So when we were both seniors, our moms, our moms also reconnected because we were both going through the woke mind virus and were very rude to our parents who had given us everything. <laughs> so our moms, you know, sought each other to be like, what the heck is going on with wow. our kids? Like we used to be so close to them and now they're coming home every vacation and just fighting with us, fighting, fighting, fighting about the environment, feminism, politics, whatever, you know, like not being able to take a moment and just laugh. Like we were so serious about everything. That's the thing. Wokeness is like so serious all the time because you're just in fight mode. So this mom and my mom um, were emailing each other back and forth. And my mom in the email says, I'm so done with this. I'm not putting up with it anymore. I told Annabella, like I wash my hands. Bye. The other mom says, yeah, I'm talking to a therapist and the therapist says that I should just yes my daughter to death and, you know, mm. she'll outgrow it. So we fast forward to today. I went through the trials and tribulations on my own and with my mom and my mom did what she needed to do, which was stand strong. And I have since returned and humbled myself and cleared my mind and now see things clearly. This other girl now lives across the country from her family, has completely transitioned into a man and is living with a woman. So this parent that affirmed her daughter no longer has her daughter. Her daughter is literally now her son. And had she maybe taken the stance of, honey, I think something else is a matter here. And I'm not going to deal. I'm not going to speak to you until you like show me kindness. Things could look a lot differently for their family. That, that is fascinating. I've actually had several uh, detransitioners on the show that were uh, into the gender ideology of wokeness and all of them, all of them have, uh, you know, this is anecdotal as well, but they, they say the exact same thing. 
do not do the the pronoun ritual. It, it, mm -hmm. uh, the, none of them said it's appropriate, whether it's a, against compelled speech or feeding into the gender dysphoria or just going into the narcissism. It's uh, they've all come free of it and said, do not do not do that dance. And and I think that's I think that's interesting. You know, I think if we as a society begin to see the capture of all of our institutions and the destruction of wokeism that absolutely produces nothing except pain and destruction mm -hmm. uh, and DEI jobs. Uh, but but if us as a society just say, no, no more, we're not doing this anymore. Uh, perhaps that would uh, yield to, to better sociological changes. Uh, if we do, if it uh, gets critical mass and we just say no more, no more, you know, on every level and push back, not in a violent or a physical altercation, but just not giving in and just, you know, like you're, you're a Christian and Jesus says that the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. And so we see this antichrist spirit that's against family against God against Jesus and people that have faith are are just stupid and so there's antichrist spirit that's uh, operating in our institutions and in in the minds of so many millions of people now uh, that's set itself up as an enemy of God an enemy of faith and so when the thief comes to steal kill and destroy if the thief comes to your front door you don't open up the door and say oh come on in and take some china or don't you know it, it'll, it'll come in and it'll just take over everything. And mm -hmm. I, and I, fi I find in my studying of this and analyzing and, and talking to people that were wrecked by this ideology, that it just absolutely destroys everything, including the victim itself. And it doesn't care. Uh, you know, James Lindsay talks about when it comes into an institution, it wants control. It wants power. It wants to set the policy and it doesn't matter if they kill the institution, they win, or if they take it over, they win. And so, and I'm saying they, in, in terms of the spirit, spiritual destructive force that's, uh, that, that, that hits people. And I believe like you're, you're hitting on that, you know, God is a, our creator and we all have a, a guide, a God sized hole that needs to be filled by him or something else. And so it's been said that everybody, you don't have a choice of whether you're going to worship. It's what you worship. And mm -hmm. I think we all have that need within us. Uh, and I, I, so I, I'd like to talk about the spiritual component a little bit about this and what you're, you coming in from a Christian perspective, uh, how did that play into it? Or was it more just uh, the brokenness of that your life had become or the consequences, or did you just start reading the Bible or something or like what happened? How did, how did you, you know, I'd like to drill down a little bit more and draw out of you more like how you went through that process of, of the deliverance you're enjoying today. Um, the emotional consequences became unbearable. So for me, the emotional consequences were daily panic attacks, also alcohol abuse, which then turned into prescription pill abuse. So now I'm going to doctors and saying, I have crippling anxiety, like I need to take something for it. So I ended up on mm. this horrific cycle of taking something to wake up you know, taking something to calm my jitters and then going home and, and drinking. And at this point in my life, I was 25. And again, I went to a very prestigious college. I have a master's. I've worked on the Hillary Clinton campaign <laughs> at this, by this point. And I, I ended up 
uh, working on Wall Street, actually, because that's the thing with, you know, the intellectuals and wokeism is that even if your mindset is crippling you, like you still have this idea, well, if my resume looks really good, then then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So, you know, I, I got really good jobs. And I, at this point, have this really great job. I'm living in New York City. Um, I, on paper, have all these things going for me, but inside and I'm, I'm totally, totally empty and broken. And I'm looking at myself in the mirror and I don't know who I am. And I don't have a great relationship with my family, even though at this point, again, because it's 2018, the beginning of 2018, like I was trying to, because I so desperately wanted to like, just kind of be back to where I was, you know, as a child, like just that happiness. And I couldn't figure out what it was. I ended up um, kind of a crazy story. It was a Sunday, um, July, five years ago, I was in New York city and I remember thinking I was so anxious and I was so depressed and I was so empty and so broken. And my learned coping mechanism was to drink something. And I really didn't want to do that anymore. And I ended up um, like going, going for a walk late at night in New York city. And I actually found myself outside of a church. Uh, and I remember I called my mom as I'm walking and I'm walking in because, you know, I'm, I'm trying to have a relationship with her and I'm telling her how like anxious I am and, and at, at about 9.45 at night, she was like, where are you? And I told her that I was standing outside of a church and she was like, go in. Why don't you just go in? And I was like, no, 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 I'm not going to go in. And she said, just go in. And for whatever reason that night, I was actually receptive. And I went inside this church and there happened to be a 12-step meeting going on. Um, and there was a speaker. It was another 25-year-old guy. And he was saying that he had like all these things, had gone to college um, you know, had a degree, had a job, but was so empty inside. And like, he was self-medicating with drugs and alcohol and he stopped and he got sober. And as soon as he got sober, he reconnected with a higher power and like basically all of his problems went away. And so it hit me like, okay, I want to try that. And that first, you know, 12 set meeting is what set me on a path of, I am going to live different because what I've been doing has not been working. Um, and, and the first step was just going on a cleanse. You know, I quit drinking and quit taking any drugs. And I also started to learn how to pray. I didn't even know how to pray. You know, I had to have someone remind me like, this is what you do. This is what you say. You know, I didn't believe in God. I didn't really believe in anything at that point, but I was open-minded to it. And so bit by bit, just kind of searching, mm -hmm. you know, I ended up moving back down to Florida, moving in with my family, working on that relationship, working on my sobriety, getting a new job, and just slowing things down a bit. Um, and my life completely changed. And I woke up and I realized, oh, I don't have anxiety anymore. Oh, I'm not depressed anymore. And what's even more amazing is that I had been so obsessed with politics and ideology. And as soon as I reconnected with God, it's like the chains of it just started to fall off. Now I hadn't, you know, changed my mind yet or my like party registration, if you will, until 2020, and 2020 happens to be when we had lockdowns. So it was during the during the lockdowns, I'm on my echo chamber of social media and I'm seeing the riots and I'm watching people burn down buildings in the name of empowerment. It just kind of hits me. This is so hypocritical. Um, and that's when the lights kind of turned on. Like, okay, I'm like just progressivism in general is a lie. Like I need to, I need to look for answers elsewhere. At that same time, I had also started going back to church because I was at a point where I was like, okay, I want to actually have a religion and and really, you know, 
be connected to a community. So I was saved in 2020. So um, if we fast forward to today, from 2020 to today, I go through this whole spiritual awakening. I realize I've been lied to by the left. I realize that conservative values, you know, um, also conservative politics are definitely the way to go. I end up working for PragerU and God just puts me in the position where I have this story come out. So the New York Post decides they want to do a profile on me and my mom and the story of getting brainwashed in college. I then go on Tucker Carlson. I talk about it and getting this exposure. Yeah. Getting this exposure leads to hundreds of parents reaching out to me and they are so distraught and they say, my kid went away to school. They came back a completely different person. We no longer have a relationship and I'm just getting flooded with these emails. And I'm like, this is crazy. Like, something's up here. And so I start looking into it a little bit more. And it turns out that a quarter of Americans are estranged from a family member. It's actually a little, it's more like 27%. So estrangement is now the silent epidemic. And people are really ashamed and embarrassed because when you don't have a good relationship Mm. with your immediate family member, like it, it, creates so much tension. Like my mom was not advertising that I wasn't speaking to her. We weren't speaking to each other when we went through our period of estrangement, you know? Um, So my mission now is I've talked to so many parents and I'm trying to get to the bottom of what this is. And there are a few things at play. So it is the classroom. It is Hollywood. It is social media. Young Americans are being brainwashed into believing that their parents are narcissists. So narcissists, and you can you can pull up if you want the one in four Americans are estranged <laughs> or this one. Yes. So narcissism, um, we could see, okay, people with a narcissistic personality disorder often come across as selfish or superior, but it's because they're making up for a fragile sense of self-worth. This disorder can make it hard to get along with others, but counseling can help with NPD or can help people with NPD learn healthy ways to connect with others. Great. Okay. So narcissism is actually only about 5% of the population. It is very, very, very small. Kind of like how transgenderism is like 0.01% of humans actually suffer from gender dysphoria. But we're seeing it at such larger numbers, right? The social contagion I mentioned before. So I have discovered that on social media, so Instagram and TikTok, there are these hashtags called Hashtag going no contact, hashtag gray rock, hashtag narcissistic parent, hashtag toxic family because wokeism. What, what, what is what is gray rock? Gray rock, you said? So <clears throat> gray rock, if you look at that hashtag or or similar words with it, mm-hmm. it gives it gives teenagers steps to fade their parents out of their lives while they are still under the same roof. So gray rocking is I come home from school, mom's like, hey, honey, how was this? And how was that? And tell me about your day. And so instead of opening up and telling her all about my day, I just give her little nuggets. So maybe like, oh yeah, class was good. I learned this. And I gray rock by giving fewer and fewer nuggets. So I am building up this boundary and I am shutting her out. That's horrible. It's horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> and 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 young Americans are being told to do this because they're being brainwashed through their phones, through their classroom. It's also cool. Kids go through this period of rebellion, but they are being convinced that their parents are narcissists. So, th- so they're given a word to label their parents as, which is, is exactly what wokeism and the Democratic Party does. They give you a label. So for me, it was woman. That was my identity that I really 
clung to, or if you're a minority, they give you this label. So now that's like your whole existence and your whole purpose and your whole identity. So if you're a kid who's now like, maybe you're just going through being a teenager, which can be a little bit emotional and your, your mom upsets you because they're like, why are you late to dinner? You're all of a sudden like, wow, okay, she must be a narcissist because this post on the internet really resonates with how I feel right now. So this must be the solution. Okay, here's the solution. Mom's a narcissist. I'm not going to talk to her anymore. I'm joining this community of other victims of narcissistic parents. It's a lie. Your parents probably not a narcissist because it is so rare and it is horrific brainwashing. And I think, again, it goes back to this idea of Marxism and breaking down the family unit. We when we isolate people, they are more vulnerable. They are more reliant on, you know, the government. We really saw this during yes. COVID. I mean, addiction rates went up, depression rates went up, suicide rates went up. Nobody talks about that. Um, so I I think that there really there is a plan. And, you know, it is the enemy. For me, it is spiritual, it is demonic, but this is a way, this is a tool that's being used to create a divide within households. So Kids are being given resources to literally shut their parents out of their life for no reason. And with social media being so popular and kids being drawn to this and being supported by uh, friends and friend groups or social media chat rooms, what's the solution here? Is there anything that can be done other than take your 18-year-old cell phone away? I mean, is there anything it's good to have the awareness, but is there any practical things that uh, families can do and parents can do? Yes. You just mentioned one of the solutions. It's totally practical to take your kid's phone away. So if your kid is still in the house and they're exhibiting this behavior, I would recommend taking away their social media, like making them go on a cleanse, if you will, for 30 days, also making them touch base with whatever extracurricular that is tied to their youth. So for me, when I was going through my healing process of kind of reconnecting with my faith faith, and also with my family, I picked up figure skating again and it really like connected me with my child self. So I encourage parents to like take their kids for a walk or take them to church, teach them how to pray, like give them the skills to know if they're starting to experience some sort of internal chaos, they have something to turn to. But I definitely think like taking your kid out of that environment is crucial. And so many parents, you know, our egos are connected with what school our kid goes to or what school Mm -hmm. we go to. Like parents need to stand up and be like, okay, if this teacher is giving my kid propaganda, that's going to have them question their identity or their sexuality. Like I am removing them from this school. Like you need to stand up and protect your kid at all costs because there are so many so many influences coming after them at all angles. And if you don't try to protect them, mm. they're going to fall into this. Like there is no way that, a, let's say the example of like a 13 year old can be the light in the darkness. If you're a 13 year old, even no matter what you tell them at home, if they're going to a school that's super woke, they're going to catch it. It's not a matter of if it's a matter of when. Wow. So yeah, you might want to consider transferring. <laughs> Now you said that your your mom was not only proactive uh, looking into the deliverance from the cult, uh, but she was also it sounds like proactive of uh, contacting other people, friends and family from your past to to reach out to you. 
Uh, did you resent that? Did you know she was doing that? Were, was it good to hear from those people or did you just think that they were, they, that you were just so much smarter than them and you wanted to cut all those people out too? Like, was that, is that a good thing for parents to do to engage others to help? It is a very good thing. Um, one thing my mom did was actually have old coaches reach out to me. I did not know that she was behind it. I thought it was organic and I was, I was actually very receptive to it because in that period, even though I didn't want to humble myself and talk to my parents, I was still seeking and I was hurting. And so if someone from my past reached out, like I was fairly, I was fairly open to it. Um, it was brilliant on her part. Honestly, I, I think that she was so smart. Like I said, she looked at everything as playing a chess game and she won, <laughs> fortunately, which is good. But yes, I think it was a really good tactic. Uh, and also just from the perspective of if an extended family friend is checking in, you at least know that like your kid is alive and safe because at that point I was also living in another state. I had friends that she didn't know. Mm. I was hanging out with people she didn't know. So having a lifeline, a lifeline back to the past, which is who I truly am, was very instrumental in helping me get out of the cult. Now, it, it sounds like you've been inundated with uh, parents. Help, help. What do we do? <laughs> and how, how about your your mom? Is she is she helping other parents now? Or what types of things are you doing as a family? Because it's just a fascinating story and this thing needs to be told and you know are there good things happening with uh people reaching out to your mom i mean i'm because this is everywhere you know yeah there are great things happening and i really would love to introduce you to my mom one very cool story is this woman beth penske she found me through i think linkedin and she actually did a follow-up interview with the New York Post. Um, and she's now called the Warrior Mom because she has such a similar story. Her kids were actually in school in Western Massachusetts at the same time that I was there. And she doesn't have a relationship with them at all anymore. And it's so sad. Her kids have not come back, but she's now speaking out about it, that she went through this. So I think one, awareness, parents understanding that like they're not alone. This is happening. There is an agenda to take your kids. And they are being brainwashed and it is like a cult. So you need to really treat it that way. This is not, um, this is not something to be looked at lightly. Um, it is amazing how many parents have reached out. My mom's actually set up a foundation, the Rockwell foundation, so that she can just basically talk to parents full time all day. She's talking to them, trying to give them strategies of what she did, just hear them out, see maybe if it's similar to what I went through. Oftentimes we found that there's normally a significant other involved. That was my case. I was dating someone at the time. Um, there's normally a significant other that uh, the victim is, is um, completely attached to who won't allow them to, or, or who encourages them to cut off communication with their family. One pop culture reference I like to give is, um, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. I think it's a really good example of family estrangement and rewriting of your own history. I mean, Harry came out with this book where his whole perspective was being a victim. And it's like, dude, you grew up a prince. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's totally fallen for it. And like, I would say everyone like pray for him because it'd be really great if he came out of it and reconnects with his family and humbles himself. Um, I think it's a good, I think it's a good example of, what's happening 
on a micro level with a lot of parents. So another thing my mom's done is she connects parents together so that they have a network, a support system who can hold each other accountable because a lot of moms will call me and be like, um, I haven't heard from my daughter in this long. What do I do? What do I do? I miss her. I want to reach out. And, and we kind of have to be the bad guy and say, don't reach out. You can't because you can push them farther away. It, it's almost like dealing with someone that is in an addiction or someone that is experiencing an eating disorder. Like if your daughter is anorexic, you're not going to tell them, yeah, honey, you're fat. You shouldn't eat. I think the same goes with if your child is confused about their gender. Like if you love someone, you tell them the truth and the truth is hard. But if you love someone, you tell them you're born a woman, you can't become a man. It's just not possible. I love you. Like, let's figure out what's really wrong here. Yeah. So we, it's a long winded answer of we you talk know, that, to parents that, all the time and we connect that, them. That reminds me of a really good friend of mine who's uh, suffering estrangement with his kids. He's well into his sixties and you know, some of his kids he's having some estrangement with. And uh, he said, nothing works. I can't reason with them. I they don't let me speak. And then he said, I'll, I'll, I'll wait a few months and I'll write this letter and I'll rewrite it and rewrite it. I'll run it through Grammarly and I'll make every comma perfect. And surely they're going to listen to this and nothing. It's just more, more estrangement. So would you recommend letters or notes or birthday cards or just let, let it, let it be totally. I'm sure let every case be. is different. <laughs> every case is different, but the overall theme is let it be. And sadly, I would tell your friend to, he can write the letter. He shouldn't send it. You know, it's a good exercise for himself. Um, I think journaling is really helpful. There are also 12 step programs for parents that they can do. I, you know, I don't know if there's one for estranged parents. I know there's a 12 step program for parents of addicts. And I think it's really similar principles. If you instead just like sub the word, it's more having that support system, having tools, also knowing that the parents aren't to blame. I think that parents probably put a lot of blame on themselves. Like it's not, it's not their fault. You know, at, at some point, maybe there are some things, but you can't really control your, your child or someone else. And I think also on, on the flip for, for kids that, you know, I, I talk about this and I, I, I am talking about fairly normal households, like parents who maybe they work and, and they love their kids. And all of a sudden their kid doesn't talk to them and they don't understand what happened. Like, that's what I'm shedding light on. Like, I'm not talking about the person that actually does grow up in a really chaotic household and their parents are alcoholics and life is terrible. Like there are probably scenarios where you should estrange yourself. And in those scenarios too, like there are 12 step programs to help with that. I'm a really good, really big advocate um, for a recovery program, as opposed to going to a therapist. And my reason is that the therapists all went to the liberal schools. That's right. They're woke therapists. <laughs> They're woke therapists. And, and there is a strain of therapy called CBT. It's cognitive behavioral therapy. And mm. one of the principles is, is going no contact. And I, I just think that you have more of a chance of getting over whatever you're going through if you're leaning on other people that are going through the same thing as opposed to going to a therapist that's just going to talk about it, talk about it, unpack it, unpack it. And they're going to maybe unconsciously give you tools that are stemmed in Marxism. So I'm kind of on the, I wouldn't go to a therapist about it unless it's someone that is Christian faith-based. You know, I'd go to your pastor, I'd go to a church. I'm 
I'm very hyper aware now of where I seek guidance and advice. And for me, like I really only turn to Christian based resources. You know, I don't know if you're doing this. Uh, I'm just fascinated. I think that, Hey, you've got a master's degree. You're, you're very articulate. And uh, I think you need to put out your shingle and your mom and just get the word out there and then set it up where it's fee-based. I'm giving you like a business idea where, where you can actually <laughs> counsel with parents on what to do, what not to do, how to do this, what the kid might be going through. I think it would be brilliant, especially with 27% estrangement and parents are totally lost. And what's the best thing to do? What, what are some of the tools that they could have? If you write a book, I mean, this is just absolutely fascinating to me to, to hear your story and the clarity in which you see things and the knowledge of the spiritual dimension of this and, and the, the brainwashing and the cult-like uh, atmosphere. I think it, I think it just brings so much clarity to people that are really in a dark place. Just like, what the heck? I, okay. I failed as a parent, but, uh, where am I now? What do I do? How do I get healing for myself? How do I, uh, you know, manage my day to day when my child isn't even talking to me anymore? You know, I mean, I think you guys can be so, so helpful and it, it just seems like it's so needed. And I don't know if there's people out there doing that, but I don't know. Is that something you'd like to do sometime or have you thought about that? Are you doing it or? I love starting new businesses. So I, I can see you, <laughs> you being incredibly in high demand uh, and make it fee-based too, where you can, you know, compensate for your time and actually make a living doing it. I'm definitely open to it. I would love to help people. And I also do need to support myself. <laughs> I, I actually very recently, it's funny you say that I felt compelled to leave the job I had. I was fundraising for an organization and I feel like the Lord told me it's time to start your own thing. And so I, I am working towards it. Happy for any business advice as a very, very new entrepreneur, because I want to have the most impact that I can. And it, you know, you have to devote full time your, your thoughts and your energy into this because it really, it's, it's an emotional journey <laughs> talking, talking through everything with these parents, but um, yeah, if you want to help me set it up, by all means, Michael. <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to put, we're going to put links uh, on the show notes for both you and your mom. And maybe your mom not, not going to like getting all these calls, but <laughs> I think you guys are, God bought you th through something as a family yeah. and he brings us through things for us to help others. It's not about us. It's like you went through hell uh, and back and you understand the mindset. You understand how this virus works and I think you guys are such a great resource for families and people that, you know, I think society is just trying to catch up to where, where this woke ideology has taken us. And I would love for you, for, for there to be more resources out there and the clarity that you have in your mind and your mom and the proper boundaries for everybody. And how do you communicate love without being, without pushing away? And, you know, where do you take a stand? Where don't you? I mean, there's so many nuances to it and, and I think uh, going through it, you can offer a lot of support and a lot of encouragement to people. And and so uh, I, I think it's exciting where you're at in your life. And you know, you you were you were with Prager University, and you had a, a very successful position there. But you were being drawn into something else. And so hopefully it's along these lines because you, you really have your finger on the pulse of what's going on in our culture. And uh, it's a it's a big deal what's going on in our country. And I think uh, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage your mom too, and uh, thank her for being the strong woman of character and in the midst of her pain that uh, she made some decisions that were 
undoubtedly very tough for her. And, uh, and so I thank you. I thank you for coming on the show today. And I'm just encouraged, uh, listening to you and hearing your heart and feeling, uh, the, the, the reality of the rawness of life that you've been brought through and where you're at today and the optimism that you have. And so I'd like to give you the, the last word on, on anything in your heart to share, uh, with, with our audience, uh, uh, we have three goals in the show. Uh, number one is to help people uh, that are dabbling with the mind virus or this ideology to avoid it. Uh, and if we can help somebody from not getting sucked into it, wonderful. Uh, the, the show has met its goal. Or two, people like yourself when you were in the university that are steeped in the ideology, you know, because you're, you're not going to win a debate or an argument, but maybe give them some tools to, to be, begin to look at the world differently and then three give hope to families uh or friends of uh that have been uh affected by uh the loss and the, the personality changes in their loved one and so i just want to give you annabella the last word uh and to speak about whatever is in your heart well thank you so much for having me and for all of your kind words and all of your guidance and i'm definitely excited for what the future has in store and and what God will will use me to do, I'm just very open for all of it. And I want to help people. And I'll say that for um, this method works for, I use this and it can apply for both parents and also for the young person that's maybe feeling the chaos because our society is so addicted to chaos right now. And what I do is I call it stay calm. So it's cleanse, which is maybe 30 days, like don't drink, don't take anything, perhaps put your phone away, delete your social media for, for a month. Ask. Um, that means, you know, seek God, seek the universe, whatever you want to call it, you know, ask for guidance, try praying, mm. um, listen. That means meditate, even if it's a minute, like you, you can just start somewhere. You take a minute of your day, just stopping everything and just breathing or you can download an app there's this app called insight timer i think it's really helpful and you can listen to like bells or raindrops for for a minute and the last one is move um i think if you move a muscle you change a thought so if you're kind mm. of stuck in the obsession the spiraling so whether it's you're young and you're like really consumed with what's in front of your face maybe it's politics maybe it's Instagram, maybe it's, you know, culture, society, what have you, or if you're a parent on the other side and you're consumed with going through estrangement, I think it really helps to like go for a walk, you know, go to the gym or go for a drive, just put yourself literally in a different environment. So it's calm, cleanse, ask, listen, move and works for me. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Well, I really appreciate you and thank you. This has been an excellent time together and uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and your vulnerability and, and may God bless you and your family and prosper you and get clarity for direction and that may your story uh, impact and help many, many people to, to live in the freedom and the victory that you have and, and avoid those years of darkness that, that you, your, your, your precious family suffered. Thank you so much, Michael. Okay, well, thank you.